An Australian Aboriginal legend tells of the moment birds arrived amongst us. The breaking of a rainbow scattered shards of colours. As these shards fell to earth, they became glowing, jewel-like birds. The film Flyways follows critically endangered migratory shorebirds as they travel their ancient migration routes around the planet. Using nanotechnology and global tracking from the International Space Station, this project uncovered the paths of the world's greatest feathered endurance athletes and shone a light on the scientists and international lawyers who are collaborating to save them. The shorebirds in this film fly thousands of miles each year along ancient and largely unknown migratory routes called flyways. Species travel from feeding grounds in the southern hemisphere to breeding grounds in the Arctic regions and back again, flying up to nine days non-stop without food or water. The navigational skills on these marathon migrations are extraordinary and mysterious. However, the shorebird numbers are crashing. Director of the film, Randall Wood, has 25 years experience writing, directing and shooting compelling documentaries. His films on music, science, natural history and humanitarian issues have won more than 30 filmmaking awards, including the Dendi Award at the Sydney Film Festival. Please join me as I welcome Randall Wood today. Randall, I'm so happy that you're joining me. I really am. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, and it's a pleasure. It's lovely to be here with you. Mm. Before we really get into it, Randall, I wanted to acknowledge country, as I always like to do. So I walk and I live and I work on Tarbal country and Kwandamoka country. And it's important to me to acknowledge the traditional custodians of those places and their ongoing connection to land and water. Is there anything that you'd like to add to that yourself? I am just, just this film has brought me ever closer to Indigenous peoples across this wonderful um, country called Australia, the many countries that forge Australia. Um, I am just in awe of what I've learned about respect for nature through the making of this film and just the idea of custodianship. And I just want to add to that, yes, yes, yes. I am just so pro yes vote personally because I see this as a, a way forward. So in honouring country, I also want to honour the great people across this entire country who are trying to make an improvement to the way we are, who we are, how we respect each other as, as a people. And I see the First Nations Indigenous peoples of this country being at the very forefront of that awareness and that change of spirit and that change of attitude, which I think is deep inside our spirits and comes from deep respect and love for each other. So I just say respect for all people in all countries across Australia and great respect for what they bring to us, understanding nature and our empathy for each other. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, it's very present for me when I walk. I, the area of Kondamoka country that I walk is Nudgee Beach, and um, my connection with that place has grown very deep in the last three and a half years that I've uh, consciously walked that ecosystem and been in communion with the beings who are there. It's no longer a major landing place for the birds, the shorebirds, um, there were a lot more there. Historically, I've walked there for 20 years on and off, but um, yeah. But what I really wanted to open out is, um, for me, <clears throat> when you name your film Flyways and when you talk about them as ancient migration routes, what resonates in my body unmistakably is these are song lines. These are song lines that weave through the atmos and weave through all the places that the birds land, the, the mud, the seagrass, the mangroves, all the other crustaceans and annelids that live in the mud. 
they're weaving for us this three-dimensional pathway. It is a series of song lines in my view. And so my question to you really, or my invitation is, if you were to stand in the presence of that uh, meta ecosystem now as you speak and in the making of this film, what is it that you want people to experience and to hear and to see and to know when they're impacted by that film? What's your invitation to them? Thank you. And I say I'm impacted by the film, but I think impacted by just the experience of communing with with birds in in reality. Because actually, I think anyone who sees the film can then extend that that experience to their place they're in and go forward and basically just witness birds in their in their place. Because I think this experience extend extends beyond just the film. It actually is about people taking a kind of action in their lives that's very very simple often. But the experience of of let's say short song lines, the birds that these fly um, are called flyways. They are vast song lines. They are deeply, for me, deeply sort of um, resonant in terms of a kind of, I would call them like neural pathways on the on the face of the brain of the world. Like you are, we are literally seen from here in Australia, Morton Bay, right where we are, pathways that run all the way up to Alaska, up to Russia, up to Mongolia, up to parts of China and beyond. And many other parts of the world share this kind of this sharing of 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 a route that will start in their place and go to some other place in the far north of the world. Mm-hmm. How extraordinary that these birds know where to go every year at the right time at the right place. They fly these same routes. They are so precious. These routes, just like song lines, song lines are precious. Flyways are precious. They're they're kind of like, I mean, if you talk about natural or national heritage, international heritage, for me that's true heritage, that those roots, because they they forge pathways that that are kind of beyond our comprehension. Yeah. How and let's do it. And what they do it for, I find extraordinary as well. I should add to there that some of the birds they'll leave here or lose leave South America and they will fly the entire length of the globe to meet their lifetime partner that's waiting for them at the other end um just a few weeks for them then they'll have their raise their, their young and then they basically then they say goodbye again for the year and leave again but that same partner is always there and i love that idea of there's this kind of deep sort of connection not just with um the idea of place but also with partner in in, in these song lines that we talk about here so it's um, yes it's like an other it is your counterpart, it is your other, it is your um, mm, that which makes you whole, but in a sense of inclusive of all of those points along the flyway before you get to your partner. It's weaving the whole lot together. It really is a, a storyline, a song line, a, and, and it's yeah. so multi-dimensional. Um, so that's something that you hope folk experience when they see the film and take that into their anywhere that they walk any place it's really about relationship with place Randall that I'm hearing you speak of too absolutely I I think that's kind of one of the great challenges of our time really is to kind of reconnect with place on a more in a more kind of I suppose like in a custodial relationship which I which is where I come back again to talking to people across Australia who taught us so much about what it means to be custodians. Like, what does it mean to be a custodian? We can be a custodian of a very local place, but the great thing about these shorebirds is because they are so international and so multi-country connected, they teach us to basically connect on a whole other level to to, to, to being custodians of, of a moment, a point in time. But beyond there, there's something more. And I love that. I love that the birds aren't... Um, aren't here forever, they're moving through here to some other place. It's a big interconnected song, literally. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is across time, across space, through light, through wind, through the yeah. other elements of that ecosystem, through relational fields. There's their partner at the other end, yes, but relational fields all along the way. And great tank ch- tensions. Like as in there, there are like any good story often has that kind of that that dark side. 
um, because that is life. And for birds themselves, of course, they are facing incredible dark sides right now because of what's happening globally. Like the globe is changing radically. We have changed this world beyond comprehension. Mm-hmm. As part of those changes right now, birds are needing to try to try to adapt. And in fact, sometimes they can, and sometimes they just can't. And as I said um, in the film and in other places, some of those birds are deeply threatened right now. For instance, the spoon-billed sandpiper, which features in our film, has only 200 breeding pairs left in the world on the planet. That's it. They're, they're, they're virtually extinct, tragically. Yeah. And many of the around the world are dropping by 5% a year in population. So and this is largely to do with human-induced changes in, in environments, based on rain, like ranging on a whole range of kind of um, of impacts, from farming to developments here in Australia in Quandamooka territory, mm. massive development. We'll talk about that later. That's Absolutely. really different yeah. to the birds. And and then you could also talk about climate change mm. and what we witnessed the film three times in the last school and we were there each time shooting was a radical gear shift in terms of in terms of climate change changing the timing to the birds and what was available to them when they got there and what they could leave with when they left and it was just radical exactly i remember there was a place in i think it was mauritania where the birds bills were shorter and they weren't able to dig down deep enough in the mud to eat their natural food source yeah, that's right. And of course, that 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 leads to an overall um, reduction in bird size and also change of timing in terms of departures. So they say that's often the, uh, tragically the start of the extinction of a species when you see the morphology of a bird or rather an animal change and reduce down when it starts to shrink. It often means in deep trouble. And we've certainly seen that for sh- some of the shorebirds. Yeah. You know, when you talk about 200 breeding pairs, is that even enough for genetic diversity? Um, I can't answer that fully, but I would say that there are, I mean, it's good to know that even in a case like that, there are teams of people working behind the scenes to try to save them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Russians invading Ukraine has impacted very badly on those efforts by these people to um, to save the birds because they were, it was an international collaboration um, with a whole range of countries becoming involved to try and do what they could up there. Um, but access to parts of Russia now has become impossible. So there, there's a, quite a kind of hitch at the moment internationally. You know, Randall, when you talk about custodianship and when you talk about the internationality, if that's even a word, of the flyway, and you talk about right now collaboration, for me, when I, and, and you also talk about the different places along the flyway that the ecosystem has been degraded, has been degraded in its own self, yes, but then there's the overarching global thing of climate catastrophe i don't even know how else to name it how can we um collaborate (laughs) is probably the only word i can come up with to really participate together to change this is it even possible you know without getting too political in this conversation is it even possible because i don't think any one government can really you know it's like trying to fix a body and you've got one little specialist operating for the nervous system and one little specialist operating for the liver. It's not going to work that way. It has to be this incredible enmeshment of the uh, weave of the song lines as stewarded or custodianed with, not even by, with us. I think that starts, I I, I hope you don't mind if I do just mention some politics because I can't talk about politics when we talk about this because we are talking here about international relations um, because actually in this instance Australia um, signed in 1975 a treaty that was globally signed in 1971 called Ramsar. That treaty um, gave us um, what came with that treaty was a responsibility on, on our end to protect certain areas identified as critical for shorebird habitats. Morton Bay, Quandamooka, was one of those areas. There's an area called Tunda Harbour in, in Kwandamuka Territory, um, which is basically um, has recently been excised by 
um, the Queensland government and local government, and is now in the hands of the federal government to take a decision on this on this particular excising from the Ramsar Treaty. They've decided to rip this out of our Ramsar signatory and give it to a developer to basically put 3,600 units right on the top of territory inhabited by Far Eastern Curlew, a critically endangered bird. So I suppose there's a big question there as to what we do. When we say, what can we do? I think firstly, honouring treaty, because we signed a treaty that was signed by 20 other nations in our region from here, travelling right across Southeast Asia all the way up to Russia. All those countries have honoured that Ramsar Treaty, but for us now, why are we doing that? Who are we? Who do we think we are to basically start running roughshod over a global treaty that was basically forged for a very specific, clear reason, which is basically about honouring our duty to be custodians of land, that it is our duty to to preserve and uphold the rights of these birds to move across country, across nation as they do from here to Russia and back. What right do we have to take that away? And who do we think we are to think that we can put 3,600 units on top of land that we've signed a treaty to protect in 1975? Why would we do that? It's just crap. It's heartbreaking. I encourage anybody... um, today watching this show to just click on that that oops that's that 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 qr code i put above my shoulder there because that will take you to a, a range of websites where you can engage in doing something that could be for instance right into your local member mm-hmm. tanja plivers in the coming weeks will take a decision on whether or not this development should could should, should or could go to go forward it's in her hands it only it's she's the last person in governance who can take a decision on that I'd encourage anybody to take a moment just to sort of think about that and perhaps write an email to your local member to talk about it, ask the question why. Yeah. Um, and then I would also say there are many other websites to look at, like Birds, BirdLife Australia and then local um, shorebird preservation um, organisations, like you know some of the waiters study groups um, around around the country. Shorebirds are also called waders, by the way, for those who want to know. That's the, the uh-huh. some of the names. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say, I'd say action is in our hands. We are we live in a democracy. It's our duty to um, be good citizens of a democracy. And I want to basically stand up for what I believe in and live with truth and integrity. I don't want to have my head um, bowed in shame internationally when I travel. I want to travel with pride going, we do the best we can as Australians. And I am not going to see my country defile our responsibilities international to uphold the duties that we have to offer custodianship to the life of a bird and the preservation of a fly, of a flyway as we know it, these beautiful, beautiful song lines that span from here in Australia all the way to Russia and back every year. Why would we rush over that just to put us a crazy development on top of, the, on top of this bird's territory? So anyway, it's heartbreaking. You... It's absolutely heartbreaking to hear you speak about um, about the situation, about it, what's happening, and it's shaming. It's incredibly shaming. Well, it's, look, it's not just that. Let's be fierce. Yes, look, we need. Fierce. We're not going to be. We are not beaten. We are going to fight all the way for what matters. The birds matter. Our nature matters. Biodiversity matters. Life is critical to preserve let's do it let's just stand up strong and be fierce exactly and you need to be fierce Randall yeah yeah duty as citizens of this planet so let's not be beaten down by by what's hard let's basically face it face on and with strength and and courage and knowledge because knowledge is everything the deeper you go into researching these kind of things the more you learn and once you start getting like we do over a four years into a project like this, you really come out with a kind of deeper understanding of what it means to be a good citizen of a country and what it means to uphold the rights of animals and to engage in conservation on a really international level. So, you know, it's kind of, I, I feel like it's dark and gloomy on some respect, in some respects, but I feel great hope as well because I think humans will come through in the end with the good. Yeah, yeah. And I hear undertones of jurisprudence in there too. Yeah, that's right. We we need to, I mean, we need to um, constantly interrogate the decisions we take and why we take them. Yeah. And, you know, 
not saying, I hope the film doesn't say that development as such in, in inverted commas is a bad thing. People need to live somewhere. But this can be done really intelligently, creatively, with the best interests of the area in, in mind, with the best interests of international obligations and the places birds need to be. We don't need to build units out on mudflats. We've got lots of land in Australia. It's massive. Yeah, and I think the decisions could also be taken, uh, yes, by listening to the Indigenous community first and foremost, but also by listening to the land itself. What is it that the land has to say? What is it that the birds have to say? It does. It really honestly doesn't take much to stand still in the mud and listen, to open your whole being to a porosity and humility to listen. Mm, what is truth here? What is real here? And it isn't money. Sorry. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. That kind of like it's interesting once you start extending that that attitude and that fit thinking to international context as well. And I think the film aimed to, to do that. Like we wanted to make a film that was quite specific to being Australian, but then of course that was just a start point for us because we quickly discovered that making a film like this must take you to other places. Mm. So decided to run a parallel between our flyway here in the East Asian Australasian flyway and the others that we spoke about earlier. And um, particularly places like Africa and, and, and the Americas, and just dig in and say, well, what are they facing in terms of in terms of challenges, and how can we learn from those challenges? And I think there's lots to learn about. And you know, thankfully, I've had some interesting conversations quite recently with places like Fortescue Energy, who are designing wind turbines, who wanted to kind of find out more. I spoke with a hundred people there, just talking about that wind turbines are great; they can create energy. They can actually be switched off for a few out for a few weeks a year when you need to turn them down, turn them off so the birds can move through safely. So there are ways of that you can these things can be quite complementary. You know, we don't have to basically see it as A or B. It can be a great combination where you just get smart. It's yeah. the same with like there's a lot of territory being lost in places like the Mid Americas, um, for short that shorebirds have been using. But, you know, farmers are smart. They can just hold off the farming on that area for two weeks. It's all it takes while the birds come in, have, have, have a bit of food and take off again. And then it's all back. You know, so it's, it's not like you have to basically give up your entire um, approach to farming. You can just change. Yeah. And it's a question of what is needed here. Along with that listening, along with that seeking of information from scientists, it's this question of what is needed here by this ecosystem, by these birds. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we know what they are. They're eating crustaceans, invertebrates. Yeah. I mean, they live, they, they are tidal birds. So they, they live in intertidal areas. So they live between land and sea. And it's kind of like, you know, it's a very beautiful sort of ethereal space in parts of the world. I just, I just love this part of the world where you step between the water and, and the land. It's quite and, um, numinous, you know. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, we did shoot some part of this film down at Nudgee. So I know that's what there are scenes in Nudgee you might have recognized in, in the film. I did. I did. You know, yeah. and, you know, there were moments, especially in the opening scenes of the film, where I just sat there and wept and wept. My body knows this country intimately. And, mm. you know, it, look, it's, when we talk about birds, when we talk about ecosystems, for me, we're also talking about something that relates with the human field. For me, wetlands and estuaries where these birds feed and rest, they're like the lymphatic systems of Earth. Yeah, they are. I just I, I... knock them out and put up a bunch of units, mate. Sorry, no. I know because perhaps because they've got some notion of what is, what is aesthetic in your in their brains, which has nothing to do with the the beauty or reality of what it means to be living here as we do in Australia. I mean, you know, they they are not basically, I don't know where they think they're from or what they're, why they're doing such a thing, but it doesn't make any sense at all. Mm. This kind of development is just, it's just obnoxious basically. And by the way, for those interested in Tunda Harbour, that you might know of Raby Bay, mm-hmm. that that is a massive development just behind Tunda Harbour. Um, which kind of, which was a, a massive development um, that happened a number of years ago, which took up most of the shorebird habitat at that point. So this Tunda Harbour development, as proposed now, is like the last little tiny piece left there. Um, the amazing thing about Moreton Bay, for instance, when you go up in a um, in a satellite, 
image and just look back down at the bay, you realize there's almost nothing left. Like it looks, it don't, you don't see that when you're actually on, on, on coastlines, but when you go up and you look down, you suddenly realize actually there's very few places shorebirds are able to even go now. Very few. Yeah. So the places that are left really matter. And that's why we have to take this kind of this kind of eating of territory by developers very seriously right now because there's a lot at stake. <laughs> there really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And look, even on a very pedestrian, literally pedestrian level, when I walk, I see so many people with their dogs off leash. Mm. And although Nudgee Beach is no longer a major site for these birds to rest, if it indeed ever was a major site, it infuriates me. You know, I go up and I say, look, you know, there's signs up. You need to put your dogs on the leash. Can you see them chasing the birds? Can you see the birds getting distressed and having to fly away? I want to ask you to speak to that a little bit. Of course, because people don't necessarily understand that birds aren't just sitting around. They're actually, they are literally at the petrol station filling up their tank for a journey that will take them um, sometimes many days of non-stop flying that they can't birds can't touch down on water they don't have webbed feet and they can't land on route because there is no way to land when you fly across in vast ocean they can't drink and they can't eat so what they get at nudri beach when they touch down there is critical resource imagine you you've got to drive from here to alice springs in your car and there's no fuel station along the way. It's going to quite matter that you spend a bit of time at the fuel pump filling up your tank and probably get some jerry cans and stick them in the back seat. And, you know, and put a bit of water in there as well if you've got a moment. The birds are doing the same things when they fuel up. A dog. A dog is like the police coming and saying, stop the um, fuel pump right now. Because when the bird sees a dog, it knows it is deeply threatened. Its entire life is at risk. So, of course, it has to lift up and fly. Expending that energy to lift up is firstly part of its journey gone because that's part of the energy it's going to use to fly to Alaska or to Arctic or Russia. So, you know, it's lost energy. And secondly, it's lost the capacity to fill up because it was getting that fuel. So it's lost its intake and it's also output. So it's a big deal. So why not just keep the bird, the dogs back where they belong on land and let the birds be where they belong on the, mm. the air of between land and water and just take keep the dogs out of those crazy crazy areas dogs i think it boils down to what exactly the same thing with the developers boils down to it's a sense of entitlement yeah that's right exactly yeah and i think that's the mindset that needs to be unhooked absolutely press the delete button on that because and just, I mean, you know, and just kind of press the open up your brain to the beauty of the world, you know, as in we can say no, but also we just need to say yes, like yes to thinking differently, yes to a, a more holistic way of, of looking at what you're doing mm. so that they're, what they're doing, that they're not losers. They're just basically people who can run a gear shift in the way they think and, and become advocates for great things like somebody build, building houses can do a great job of it it doesn't have to be basically a, a dog horrible job yeah, yeah, it can, yeah. Yeah, building is beautiful like to make a beautiful environmentally sustainable place somewhere for humans to be that can interact with ha- animals and, and other and nature great like hats off to you but to just run a, like a kind of like a bulldozer over something and think that you could take all the money spend it down the gold coast or wherever you're going to go and not basically consider the impacts is just so irresponsible. It's not funny. And let's be fierce. Let's be fierce. Let's be fierce advocates for saying we are custodians. We are not rapists. We have duty here to nature and to the world we live in and to other countries who are part of this treaty. We are going to do our part as Australians and be decent, honourable human beings and do our part. It's our duty, <laughs> surely. Yeah, yeah, it's our spiritual relationship is what it actually is. Nobody, I have never met a person who has not seen birds in flight, specifically migrating birds I'm talking about now, and just stood there in awe, wonder, and their heart blown wide open, and yet they don't join the dots. Well, you can't actually have that if you don't have the ecosystem and you have the block of units instead, or you have your dog running around ripping up the seagrass and... Yeah. yeah, that they don't go together. 
So I'm going to throw something, a a really radical question, which I don't actually even expect you to answer. It's more that I want people to hear it. I want people to hear this question. Mm. What happens when these ecosystems cease to exist? What happens when these birds are extinct? I think what comes with that is an intense and overwhelming loneliness and nobody, no thing, no creature can live with loneliness. Loneliness is just so much the end. It's just soul-destroying. It's soul-destroying. And so, you know, I think that's part of what comes with losing um, with losing, losing species and losing biodiversity. I made a documentary for Natural Geographic um, a few years back um, called The Worm Hunters, which was a great film. Um, did really well around the world. It won many of the great international awards. I was very lucky that that film did so well. But while making that film, I engaged um, some great scientists around the world in that project. And one of them, who was one of the top scientists in earthworm taxonomy, turned to me one day and said, you know, he said, the, the threat facing the world as we know it right now isn't war. It's not oil it's not even climate right now that what we face is the biggest threat to humanity and civilization as we know it is a loss of biodiversity yes and i really took that to heart and i've thought about that quite often since because i actually genuinely think he's right i think biodiversity losing biodiversity is just losing the absolute core essence of life as we know it and we really need to shake ourselves up and go stop stop that right now and pull ourselves together because when we lose biodiversity, when we cause extinctions worldwide, it's like wide like we are right now, we are losing everything. We're losing part of our body, Randall. As I and civilization as we know it. We're losing yeah. part of our body. We're losing part of our consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, okay, I've called them song lines. They're called flyways. I know they're called flyways. But each species has its own frequency, its own resonance, its own vibratory field. Our bodies hear that, feel it, know it. It's part of who we are. It's part of how we are. You knock out X number of species, you're losing those frequencies. You're losing those sounds, if you want to call it sounds. You're losing that capacity for a human being to actually even be here on Earth because that's what part part of what sustains us in the whole web of the everything absolutely and i think um you know i've mentioned to you another time that i I had i have just spent six months in hospital and coming out from the hospital i have been at home on a small um, farm property out near sanford and i've really devoted myself to trying to um, as a custodian would recreate some of the natural environment here by removing the things that aren't good for this area and making sure that things are there can thrive so i'm right now taking out a lot of weed species that over many years here have taken hold and are basically running invasion um which i sort of see as colonization by the way yes Um, They are colonizing this land and i want the land to be given back to those who genuinely own it in this case, I'm talking here just about species, particularly just in, right now. But as a custodian, I'm, I'm taking things like Chinese elms, um, Celtic trees out and letting the, like the foam barks and the, and, the, and the beautiful figs that are underneath those stories come up. So it's a big kind of thing, I think, to take responsibility for what we want by often taking responsibility, by taking responsibility for what shouldn't be there and let it come out bring it out and let what should be there back in. So it's kind of, it's a process. Uh, so given that you've raised it, I want to ask you, how much do you think your process of injury and recovery has contributed to that um, process of what I really hear is Didier is deep listening? Yeah, I've, I mean, just by way of context for those who don't know, I fell off a ladder um, at the studio um, and fell th- three or four metres backwards and hit my head in the, on the concrete and broke 16 bones and um, nearly died. Um, I was three ambulances had to come to get me because they couldn't, the first two couldn't move me. And the third one was a specialist who got me into a hospital. I was in ICU for three weeks unconscious or about two and a half weeks. And then two months in full scale um, re- rehab, taught to walk again, speak again. Thank you, I can talk. And to um, and to do math and so on. So it's been a bit, and then I was, again, another four months, three days a week in hospital, 
just running through things like physio and rehab. What I learned during that time, I think, was a real sense of love for those who suffer, what I'm going to call um, compassion um, for, for, for people who might be suffering to understand that actually even if they're going through something that might be tough, they might not be necessarily the nicest person at that time, that empathy really matters. Uh, it's the most important thing we have to offer. And, you know, when we receive it, it helps us grow and be. So I noticed in hospital, because I was there a long time, and I was, you know, um, so I saw many people there who were deeply um, affected by their accidents as well, because we're all in one big ward um, at that point. And most of us have suffered bad brain damage um, from because I did. I suffered a bit. Uh, I broke my skull. So I've had a lot, lot of work to get that back in order. Mm. Um, but and so have many other people. But I noticed that the people who did best in hospital were those who had the support of friends and family, who people who would come and visit them regularly, those who were alone were really suffering. So, you know, of course, you would do your best as a, as a co-patient to offer what you could to them. But I really learned through that experience to, to understand that care and empathy and love for your fellow um, sister, brother, mother, father, grandparents, best friend, colleague matters and will really carry them through tough times. So I think I've come out after that whole experience just feeling like it was tough not what I would choose to go through, but I see that there's been something I've learned and I am really happy to carry forward my life into the future with that close to my heart and my understanding that actually I really do want to make a better world in the ways, in the small ways I can and start basically with the people around me and, you know, working with that as a start point. So yeah. it's a big job. It's what's in front of your face and it, it comes back to that web, that relational field very deeply and if we lose part of it we suffer exactly that's mm. right yeah so i'm lucky I, I was just lucky i mean i've got to say just as an australian we are so lucky never forget just what it's like to have a medical system like we do here Absolutely. um with the kind of people who are specialists who really work with deep intel integrity in their work I mean, I was just blown away. I've never been in hospital before for any period of time, but my God, after six months, I feel deeply thankful for being around with people who know what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I've got to say one thing, the great thing was as I woke up from my um, dreaming, because I was at, well, I was like unconscious for a number of weeks, and as I started to come to, I came to with dreams, and the dreams were very powerful. Some of those dreams were about people, and but some of the best dreams ever, and this is not just making this up, was I was flying with the shorebirds. And I I became I came to understand that birds are far, far more than something you just look at. They're part of our spirit. Like when we fly with a bird, we are we are like a spirit flying through time and space, throughout through the world, through through so much. And so that, that small experience really shift gear shifted for me. A kind of appreciation of what birds are they're far more than what we look at them as being they actually are they are kind of like guides yes they are i'm so pleased that you spoke to this randall i remember a, a friend and colleague speaking to me she'd been present at one of your q a's and she heard you speak to this and she said it really impacted your relationship with the film and what it was that the birds or you wanted the birds to mm, portray or speak through or speak to, and that oh, it was that experience of, of the, really, I'm going to call it the dreaming. You were in the, the dreaming, yeah. in the dream time. And... I totally agree. We were lucky. So I, I kind of changed the subject slightly, but just in terms of filming the, the film, we were lucky um, despite COVID being able to go, we went to the advanced facility for avian research in London um, in Canada, not far from Toronto, um, mm -hmm. and that was a place we managed to shoot shorebirds very close up flying um, because I was doing some research there into how birds do this flight. We were lucky to actually have a camera there in a wind tunnel and got very close up and really got with the birds. And that, those mm -hmm. images are really mm -hmm. beautiful insight into how birds like respond to space and to that sort of the, the the great nuance that they apply to flying these vast distances. So that those little shots, I think, really sort of helped me understand more closely what it's like to be a bird. Yes. Because, of course, you never shoot that sort of shot um, 
in in the big outside world we had to be in this kind of specialized very specialized facility and there are only a couple in the world so thankfully Canada opened up a border for me to come in for a couple of days and I was able to come in and shoot that at that point in time part of the story and I think it does help us understand that spirit that we talked about of of the birds being guides like guides for us yes okay so here's a radical question right in that stream right along that nerve tract What did the birds say to you, Randall? Um, I have to think about that. To so, how do I articulate that? I mean, when I was very young, just by the way, I don't want to sound like I'm out there, but I am. Um, I had a beautiful dream as a kid that I was being taken on flights by kookaburras. Mm-hmm. So, I've had this dream very young in my life, um, that, and I was very connected at that point, and I still feel connected to kookaburras for that. <laughs> like it's kind of like whenever I see a kookaburra, I got that sort of feeling that I'm with you, like you know, because I because I know what it's like to fly with you, and to sort of feel the joy that they feel because I see exactly sort of exceptionally joyful and yes. quite naughty. They're that. one of my totems, and joy is yeah. Wow, there is. And interestingly, today, just by the way, this is this tree. I've I've lived in a beautiful place here, and I was in the garden just looking at some kookaburras up in the tree, um, just where I've just planted a beautiful garden. I was looking up at them, and then one flew in, another one flew in behind it, and the first one took off. A second one came in, and when the second one came in, the first bird that was there turned to it and just sort of ruffled its feathers, and then just preened the bird for its, its friend for a little minute. And I looked at that care, and I thought, wow, that's just beautiful to see that. It just really shows me. A community like it's so different to what how we might see birds have been quite individualistic in fact they're very like considerate and concerned for each other mm-hmm. so i think maybe the like coming back to your question about what did i learn from the dreams of flying with birds i think actually part of what i learned was that feeling of connection that that connection and care that we you know that we that we bring to each other when we when we uphold each other lift each other's up mm-hmm. um when we lift each other up we care and I think birds in flight have that same sense. So they're actually they're actually working with each other. They're flying in formations. They're actually working very closely together to make to to synchronize these beautiful beautiful rhythms of song. Yeah, um, yeah. we're all part of the same. All part of the of, you know we're all feathers on the same wing. Exactly, and yet and at the same time that that wing being same is actually quite diverse and that's also what's beautiful when you look at shorebirds that they're you know I mean there's, there's about 200 species but but within a single flock migrating there's a kind of what they call metacognition where the birds are actually where the accumulation of the of the shared um psyche of all the birds together um becomes greater than the sum of each one of them singularly and so they have to when you watch a, a, a formation of birds actually up and up like whirling around like that they're connected and how do they decide to turn one direction the other direction all at the same time all lift and then dive and they're doing this in synchronicity there's just this incredible metacognition at play there's just drawing these birds into these into these relationships with each other into this song again this yeah, yeah. basically understand where to go when and how which is beyond any individual bird it's a united vision which i just love it's kind of like galaxy formation. As I'm listening to you, that's the image that I get. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. It is like that. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Randall, I wanted to ask you something that I heard you speak to in a, an interview I was listening to about in the Q&A sessions that you've been part of at film screenings, that when people ask questions, you said some of those questions really surprised me or really intrigued me. And mm. And I thought, oh, I want to know what some of those questions are. But mostly I really want to know what did that open out for you? What did those uh, questions open out for you? Sort of like in terms of the people asking the questions, I, found, I really enjoyed the questions coming from some of the younger people. Mm-hmm. To, by the way, like I love, like there were some people who were kind of like, you know, sort of early teens or, you know, just between 7 and 15, 16 and I just heard them ask the question. I thought, wow, you've got a future like right there. Like, I love your future. I love the way you're thinking and feeling and, and, and applying your skills to a way of looking at the world that's beautiful. So I think for, for that, one of the biggest revelations for me was just understanding that young people are really connecting and working with 
with their skill sets and, and growing that through exploring potentiality. So, you know, there's one young guy um, at one of the sessions who had a website, I just forget the name of it right now, but he was he was there asking all the sorts of questions you would love somebody to ask and then showing me on his phone pictures he'd taken of 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 shorebirds and just like, wow, you know, you're just, you've got it. <laughs> he was probably only 10, but he was like right out there pushing things forward. So I think some of those questions were sort of the ones. And then, of course, another level you know some of the questions we got from places like fortescue energy where there's people who are trying to forge new energy systems but trying to work out a way to do it that's kind of sustainable and reasonable mm-hmm. i like those questions because they make they just help me start to think how like how do you do this and of course you know it's as i said earlier it's a cyclic thing it's also looking at other at other precedents because already there's been a lot of like for instance energy um turbine systems set up in Americas and in Europe. And so there's been like quite a lot of work done in places like that. So we just need to look at those places and start to explore what's happened and where they're, where they're at. Yeah, and um, how we can adapt that here to Australia. Exactly, exactly and, and other parts of the world. And then some of the other questions, I think, um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I like the fact that some people are discovering shorebirds for the first time. And I know what that feels like too, because of course we always discover something for the first time at some point in our life. And I think the 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 first awareness where you go, wow, this creature so small that holds in your hand like that, you know, it's, it's tiny, but it will fly on the meal that is eaten on Nudri Beach to Russia, like only stopping once in Taiwan. Like what an extraordinary story. A story of kind of a, 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 like an athletic creature, unlike any other creature on the planet. Like we think, like we always talk about sport as Australians. Well, huh, like let's talk sport if we want to talk sport and talk about the spirit of these birds that will drive them that way, all that way. Mm. You know, it's That's extreme sport. If you yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You know, when uh, I hear that, though, it, I feel really humbled, incredibly humbled. Yeah, they are. They are humbling. I think. I think they they really show another way of basically relating to time and space, a temporal the temporal realities yeah. that are different. Yes. To anything, you know? And you know what it makes me think as well is just how you know. I mean, we talk about the history of Christianity, for instance, and we read the Bible and we'll talk about dominion. Like you know, man got dominion over the animals, for instance. And you kind of go, well, what does that mean? Like, what are we talking about when we say that? Like, I'm not questioning Christianity or the Bible. I just want to talk about that particular point right now about basically when we talk about being a custodian of an animal, we also are kind of, um, um, you know, we also have to be basically honoring their deep intelligence and their deep relational intelligence that, that where they're communicating on other levels, levels that we don't necessarily have. And I think it's, it's important that we just, we just wake up and offer them that, that the, the integrity and decency and the, our humility to say, you are extraordinary. I love and respect you for what you are, how you are communicating. It's not how I will communicate because it's just not, that's not my humanity, not, my, you know, being, a, sorry about that. Um, but rather that, um, but rather that, um, you know, that the, 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 bird, the birds and even a dog, for instance, will communicate through like scent. Like it's a whole yeah, other communication. Yeah, it's a very different perceptual field. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so after the humility for me emerges the immediate question, who are you? How do I know you? What can I learn from you? What do I need to know to be in a relational field with you? Those are the questions that come up for me. And and really the state of privilege to even have the opportunity to be in a relational field with this being. Because Really, what this being is, is a fractal of the everything, a fractal of consciousness who's experiencing it, perceiving it very differently to me. I want to know about that. I want to know who I am. And well, I've, I've got a new project in development at the moment beyond Flyways, which will be a few years before it's anywhere near being out because it's a big project. But it's called Love Safari. And it's actually about, which is actually about the relationships that animals have with each other, which are extraordinary, with all the fluidity and gender diversity 
aspects of of their of their beings and what that tells us about ourselves and our relationships with each with, with each other and i'm loving making this film it's just teaching i'm learning so much mm-hmm. i've only just started but i'm deep in research at the moment and it's it's really shaping up beautifully yeah yeah you know randall i think the whole key is just this listening suspend what you think you know just suspend it lay it aside yeah. and ask and be willing to be less than a beginner to just be in this porous field of not knowing and yeah 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 yeah. uh is there anything else that you want to say before we begin to wrap up um gosh I don't know there's so much to say it's such a um look I think I think I think just as I said before coming to a place where we respect appreciate and honor hope in our in our own lives and bring that to bear in what we do through a fierce determination let's not give up let's make sure we always stand up um stand up proud and tall and and do what we know we need to do right now to be, to bring out a better world right now i think it's right now like we really need to do this now it's not tomorrow or next year it's it's, it's each day every day because we are really at a point right now where what we do matters Yes, we are. Uh, so I say, like, let's let's click on the QR code there. So the other side, um, other side, yep. Sorry, I'll, I'll sort of back the front here. But yep, Q, click on the QR code, write to your local member. It's very quick to write an email. It's just a little bit of thought is what it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're passionate, and 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 if not, if it's not for birds itself, then avail that to another beautiful creature on the planet or. If, if so be it, your best friend, your mother, your sister, your brother, whatever, I think it's just about giving and making sure we do what we can to give what we've got and, you know, be kind of um, a good person in that. Knowing that you're part of wholeness, that you're interwoven yeah. with it and exactly. you can't exist without it. Exactly. That's yeah. right. Exactly. It's so interconnected. And I think part of that for me is just, as I said earlier, I'm just a great lover of gardening and I spend a lot of time outdoors where, when I can. But that when I put my hand down into, into soil and you know, plant something, I feel this kind of beautiful connection to, to something that's that, like it's time, it's space, it's, it's hope. You know, it's, it's just so many things. It's, it's a giving as well because when I plant flowers, of course, I know I may not be there when they come out necessarily but somebody will be and or something might be so exactly. you know i do it for that and also like i'm just loving planting plants that birds love like just before this phone call i was looking out the window there and i saw two king parrots a couple male and female fly into a bush that i've planted some time back a pigeon pea and just start feasting on these little peas on the on the pigeon pea shrub outside my window and i thought wow i've kind of done a little thing there to sort of help something Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're loving it. I want to extend that a little bit because um when you're talking about being part of something when you put your hands in the soil, and I know that you have a boat and I know that you sail, and I have a boat as well and sail. Yeah. And I and I want to ask you about that feeling of being part of something, being interconnected with something when you're on your vessel, when you're on the water, when you're in that atmosphere, when there are birds flying around. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, the birds are flying around, but so am I on the boat because the boat is flying. And I love how a boat, it's kind of this celebration of vastness because, you know, that space between between the sea and the sky on a boat just blends and it's so beautiful. You are literally in like space but the other thing about a boat is of course it's in it's it's an intensive small world that requires everything um in a very small space on your part to be safe so you're also in a very 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 small space which is kind of the absolute opposite of that vastness and i love that contrast between being in big open spaces and then going downstairs into the, into the bilge and just working on a motor <laughs> and going, right, this is it. This is it. This is my survival. Depends on getting this right, right here, right now. There's a lot of discipline in running a boat. I see owning and sailing a lot like basically being a pilot of, a, of an aircraft, actually. They're, they're, mm-hmm. There's a lot in common. You have to take safety very seriously, but also take safety of space very seriously. 
And the boat, of course, I'm Rainbird Two is my boat, and she we sailed her many places to shoot this film, um, many beautiful places, and and but boats also bring you to places where you can't go necessarily on foot or wouldn't want to go on foot because I wouldn't want to walk in some of those places. I'm happily just row my little dinghy up to the edge and look, but you know I wouldn't want to be walking in there. So I'm I'm thankful that boat is also a kind of um, freedom and a sort of like I, I take a level of responsibility in a boat um, because of because of what it is. Oh, and the, the last and most important thing about it is it doesn't require an engine most of the time. 95% of the time it's just working with nature's power. And I just love that feeling of harnessing wind and, and being with it and just working with it and, and you know, being at one with basically that, that, that power because it's so beautiful, just like a bird would do. Exactly. It is a lot like a bird because for me, when I'm sailing, my whole body, like the bones just float within the connective tissue and the vessel, my body, the wave, the wind, the sail, the whole lot becomes this one organism. Yeah. And I must feel how it feels to a bird to fly. Absolutely. I think so too. And of course, you know, all the considerations in a boat around tide and wind and weather all critical and 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 the geography of where you are all importantly like what's below you and what do you know about that all those things really add up to basically critical survival techniques and i think a bird goes through exactly the same sets but they're very deeply um sort of embedded in what they do they need to where they are and what they're doing there, where they, where they need to go, how much further they should push before they can stop for a rest to take something to eat somewhere, whether it be for, for a curlew flying nonstop from here all the way to Taiwan to touch down on a mud flat to have a snack. I mean, it's a long way, but, you know, you need to work out how you're going to get there. So, yeah, yeah. A nice way to wrap that is to say that birds will often sort of like, they know more about weather then the great supercomputers of the world, they can work months ahead of time to anticipate weather changes, and they do, and they will jump on the tails of vast storms just after the storm has passed, and they'll use that tail of the storm to literally slingshot themselves from Alaska to Australia. So just to understand that there's kind of, there's a lot going on there. So yes, it is like sailing. Sailing is quite similarly. I, I always look at weather in depth well ahead of time before I go sailing. Oh, you have to, because you're out there and you are weather. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. There is no boundary between you and weather and water. and You, you are it. It is you. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. That's, that's personally what I love about it. And, you know, having a boat is one of the great pleasures of my life and it's also a massive responsibility, mm-hmm. but it was a great asset for making flyways because it did avail us to go places where we could never have gone without having a boat. So I really thank that opportunity. I'm also just my skill to get us there because I've, you know, been grateful to learn to sail. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like the original wayfinding, you know, birds, sailors, and the communion yeah. between birds and sailors. Exactly. Oh, Randall, it's been such a joy to speak with you and open out some of this territory. And I wanted you to let people know where they can see the film, where they can find out more about flyways, where they can find out. You've already mentioned the QR code um, up there. Um, but, yeah, where can where can we see the film again if we haven't already? So the film is screened at a range of cinemas. and there, there have been too many to list just here, but I will say click on the code and we'll make sure we get that up there for you. Um, certainly Antidote Films, which is just here. If you look up that website um, on the bottom right-hand side of the screen just now, um, you will get references there to what screenings still re- remain in certain places around the country. Um, we also expect longer longer term the film will be available to a whole host of outreach opportunities. Um, and if, if anyone runs an organisation and wants a film in their area, please let us know. Um, just email us and we'll make sure we do the very best we can to get it to you um, because we are really looking for out, outreach opportunities for the film at this point in time. Um, the film is also available in a much in a cut-down version on iView that, and it can be watched as a short on ABC iView. Is that um, now? That's currently? That's currently. It should be currently right now, I think. So that's that's important to know and it does have some repeat screenings on the ABC as well. 
Um, and then, of course, internationally, for anyone who might be internationally watching this, there is a whole there are a whole range of of wonderful opportunities coming up to see the film across the Americas, Europe, and Asia, as I, as I mentioned. So it's it's quite it's quite extra, ex, extraordinary and exciting that this is happening now. Oh, I'm so glad that people can see it not just in Australia; they can see it internationally. That's fantastic. Okay. okay, and and so Flyways has its own website as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And that that will take you that that link QR code there will take you straight there. So just just photograph it or click on it, Great. and that will take you to the website. I'll put some of those links in the show notes anyway, so people can do that if they choose. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Is there anything that you really would like to speak to us as a last? thought from thank the fabulous team that goes into making a film and in our instance like i'm just one person out of probably a hundred who worked on the project i've got a terrific co-producer and a whole range of other people so you know it's just been quite quite the extraordinary experience to work with a great team and as always i need to give thanks to them all of them Mm, great yeah okay thanks never never forget what we learned through as as we started the conversation off on land and, and the wonderful custodians of land in this country, what they can teach us each day in every day, in how we approach life. So, and 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 communion with nature is really communion with our spirit. So, thanks to all the people in Australia who've taught us so much. So I've been talking with Randall Wood, the director of the film Flyways. Thanks so much. It's been lovely having a conversation and please take care. Enjoy the film. Those who are about to watch it. Mm -hmm. 